Hello, I'm Yolanda Brown and a very warm welcome back to LPO Offstage. This is the podcast that takes you behind the scenes with the music and musicians of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the LPO's concert goers and meeting some of the orchestra's self-confessed superfans. I'm joined by flautist Sue Thomas, great British Bake Off star, software engineer and trombone player Jürgen Krauss and LPO superfan Joanna Williams. It's great to have you back on the podcast, Sue. And welcome, Joe. And welcome, Joe and Jürgen. Hello. Thank you for having us. Hi, Yolanda. (laughs) Nice to be here again, Yolanda. Oh, it's lovely to see you all. Thank you. Well, I'd like to start with you first, Joe, if I can. What makes you a superfan? And tell me when you first encountered the LPO. Well, oh, a super fan. I think it's probably longevity and increasing involvement with the orchestra. My parents would take the title of original super fans. My mother's first LPO concert after we checked the archive yesterday, which is my father and my mother's programmers of everything they've ever oh. attended since they both moved to London in the 60s and early 70s. And Cards, which is my father's card filing system of every piece of music he's ever been to and every performance of it. So having checked the cards, my mum's first concert was 1968. My dad's first concert was 1972. (laughs) Mum wins. Mum wins. (laughs) But my first concert, my introduction was, and I have the programme here, December 1995. So I was 11 and my sisters were eight. And it was Franz Velsemerst and Thomas Hansom, as he is known in our household. And it was <laughs> New York meets Vienna. And it was Strauss, Bernstein, Paul Porter songs, Jerome Kern. And you have the programme right there, which enough of a... Oh, I'm looking at it right now. That's beautiful. We're on Zoom here. And oh, what's this card? We've got a card held up. That's the card on which it is recorded, my attendance. Oh, I see. So there is an absolute proper filing system. I Okay, super fan is not even the way to describe this family. This is fantastic. I'm so honoured to have you with us, Joe. <laughs> well, I was honoured to be So yeah, that was my first. And then my first LPO opera was Glyndebourne, was the Macropolis case and Anna Celia in 2001, oh. which I imagine, Sue, you played at. I did, yeah. I was on, I think I was on trial or I just, I just joined. I think I had joined in 2000, 2001. I can't remember where the probation was, but I remember doing that and she was extraordinary. We'd done uh, the year before, I think, Yanufa, and I totally love Janacek. It's a totally different sound world and... Um, I remember buying a picture thinking, well, one, if I don't get the job on a DJ Nufa, at least I've got this beautiful picture I bought of a a flower from an artist in Lewis because Lewis is so cultured and it's filled with artists and potters and, I don't know, and jewellers. It's a terrible place to spend a lot of money when you've got a split day. (laughs) You can spend your fee and double fee. And then the Macropolis case was amazing. And then I got the job, so I bought another picture. I stopped oh. buying pictures because I've been there for over 20 years, so I couldn't afford to do it every year. <laughs> oh, amazing. And Jürgen, do you have any memories of those concerts in particular? My relation to the LPO is fairly recent, I have to say. I was aware of it, of course, listening to lots of records when I lived in Freiburg. Since coming to England, I seem to be busy with commuting. The possibility to go to concerts was quite limited if you are spending substantial time on the train every day. 
So really, it has come to its own since Bake Off. Well, absolutely. I'm going to delve deeper into that, Jürgen, because there, there's some special baking happening at the moment as well. But just while we were on the topic of that concert, Joe, do you remember being 11 and being in the concert hall? And what was your impression? There's a feeling of magic and quite a lot of astonishment because there's so much talent and it's all being honed into when it's when it's done well. <laughs> but when it goes right, it's being honed into this single coherent, yet multifaceted, multi-layered, constantly changing. I think for me, it is still magic. I think mm. it was the magic that got me. I'm circling right back to you now, Jürgen, because that magic that we feel in music, you really brought to baking to the point where I know that even Sue has shared, and I've I've read all the articles and seen the videos of people crying when you finally had to leave the show. Was there a connection between baking and you brought music really much into your ingredients and creations? What was the link there for you? Well, I think that's a very strong link in that you can't bake or you can't play music, perform music. If you're not in the moment, you have to be absolutely in the moment. In music, you're communicating via sound, something that disappears in an instant. In baking, you communicate via shapes and flavors and aromas. And they need more careful planning. They remain a bit longer than a sound wave in a room. But still, if you're not in the moment... At the time of doing it, if you don't know what you're doing, then things can go awfully wrong. That is a beautiful way to wrap that up. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> and Jürgen, you're, you're baking a cake uh, at the moment to celebrate the LPO's 90th birthday. Are you allowed to tell us what any of those flavours will be? And will it be big enough for every player to have a taste? Yeah, I'm very excited about that cake and about the um, being asked to create one. I'm looking at the LPO logo, and that is pink and white. So one flavor will be white chocolate, and another flavor will be raspberry. Ooh, yes. Um, I'll put them together in a cake that also will feature some kind of musical stave. I'm still working about the idea to put musical notes into that stave. Whether it works, we will see <laughs> on the evening. <laughs> and for a Beethoven size orchestra, it will be enough. If I were to deliver to Google Leader, I don't think I would manage that. <laughs> oh, well, no, I wish you all the best. And actually, at the time of recording, you haven't yet presented the cake. That will happen the 22nd of October. But at the point when our listeners are listening to this, it has already happened. So I'm sure there'll be stories galore on the amazing creation that you present for that anniversary. So thank you so much in advance. <laughs> now, if you could choose one word to describe the LPO, Sue... What would it be? Ooh. <laughs> I couldn't use two. No, you asked for one. Uh, I'll give you two. I'll give you two. That's all okay, right. Okay, two. Passionate and spirited. Very nice. Well, I'm going to ask you to develop a little bit more. Where, where does that happen? Is that behind the scenes or just on stage and what the, the listeners hear? I would say behind the scenes, travelling, touring, on the stage for sure. I love the way Joe described the magic, because there is an essence of magic, which I, I suppose it's like an amazing baker where two people do the same recipe, but someone creates something incredible with the same recipe. Mm. And it's amazing that Joe experienced that sense of magic. It's the camaraderie, but it's also the commitment, but a huge level of fun, especially in the woodwind section, which I've loved being a member of. People are yeah. very... 
their demeanour is very different to when they're playing a solo on stage. And I love the whole essence of that as well. I was going to say one thing because I wondered about Jürgen going to Brighton. This isn't an LPO thing, but I... I went to hear the Brighton Phil. I just wanted you, and when you go, you go to the concerts in Brighton, or do you go in London, or is uh, it a mixture? Brighton, mostly Brighton. But yes, I because the acoustic is different in Brighton, isn't it? And it's much better for the audience than it, it feels on stage. But mm. I went to hear the Brighton Phil, and I'm normally sitting on stage, so it was nice to sit in the audience. And I went to hear my husband play Bolero. Mm-hmm. Lovely. And I was about four months pregnant. He was a little bit keyed up about it. And in the first half, there was a man who chatted to me in the interval and he said, um, are you enjoying the concert? I said, yes. Do you come to Brighton often? And I said, I didn't want to say about the LPO and I've been playing here for years. And anyway, he said, I'm enjoying it very much, but that, the principal trombonist is a little bit loud. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought he was quite loud, but I thought I could cheer him more because... He's my partner. Tuned in. Yeah, I'm tuned yeah. in. Actually, I'm much more tuned in to the trombone now than I ever, ever thought I'd be in my life. Well, anyway, it was funny because I didn't know what to say. And then just as I left for the interval laughing, couldn't wait to tell my husband, I said, that trombone is the father of my unborn child. And so he walked off. And then in the, after, at the end of the concert, he said, wow, marvellous. But it was funny. So Brighton makes me smile. I think of that moment in Brighton when I sat in the audience like you do, rather than sitting oh, on stage. That's great. <laughs> well, yeah, again, off the back of that, what would be your word to describe the LPO? The best words have already been used. The one I would add is intentional. From the way LPO presents itself on social media to the way they interact with repertoire and conductors on stage, it's all very intentional. And I mean that in the way that conductors and repertoire seem to match very well. The orchestra changes in the best possible way. So a Beethoven will sound very different from a Mahler or Bolero, indeed. And the social media, um, I know social media of other orchestras, this, this drive to educate people and to draw people in. I really love it, these mini scores that only just show one instrument of the orchestra and it makes it so approachable. I wish there would be a much bigger audience for these multimedia posts. You're right. All of that sort of back backstage stuff. And that's why I love this podcast as well. Just unraveling the magic that we experience in the in the theatre, in the auditorium. But you're spot on there, Jürgen. It's really nice to, to hear your take on that. And Joe, I know you've given us magical already, but can I push you for a, another word to describe the LPO? Enjoyment. Yes, absolutely. Because I think it is clear that the orchestra enjoy what they are doing. Yes. And that they enjoy each other. They take pride in each other's abilities. And I think classical music is one of the most accessible experiences. Is It can be your own. It can be made your own so very easily. And it doesn't matter what mood you're in. You can go and enjoy it live or on the radio or in any way. In many different forms, you can be in a terrible mood and it can make you feel better. Or you can be sad and it can just make you cry and give you the opportunity for the emotional expression. And so I think it is bringing that enjoyment to other people. And, you know, Joanna, you're right. I think what I've been taking from LPO Offstage as a podcast and getting to know the musicians behind the scenes is that there is a genuine enjoyment 
and they see themselves as a family and move as a family. And it filters through into the music. And I think that's what we take when, when we see it. So a brilliant word indeed. Jürgen, what was your first experience of the LPO, your first concert experience? I think that was in Brighton, a children's concert, but I don't have such strong memories of it. As I said, we didn't go to concerts very much. Yeah. And the one that really blew my mind was the recent concert with Ravel's Bolero in Brighton. Just Gilliam on sax. I listened to Bolero a lot years ago. Just this build-up of the tension through the whole piece without giving at any moment. It was incredible. My wife didn't want to join because she thought Bolero, uh, it gets boring. <laughs> I've listened to it a thousand times, but <laughs> in the end, she was just as as taken as I was. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, that just goes to show the same piece of music in different times can say different things, Sue. I was just thinking I was going to ask Jürgen, does he play the solo? I wasn't going to ask you to do it right now, being as you've got your trombone. <laughs> People would appreciate you've got a multitude of trombones we set up in the background. Some, we can see some brilliant instruments uh, behind you, yes. Yeah, on a good day, I might yeah, manage right, that. Right, okay. When the wind's um, in the right direction for the height. Yes. The, the, yeah. So uh, if, if I practice, I know how to practice to get there. But yeah. um, I did Mozart Requiem in concerts, so Amazing. that was probably as exposed as so, I. Would you did do the tuba mirum? Is that what you did? Yeah, the second yeah, yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. I love it. Brilliant. I really love it. Amazing. Many strings to your bow, Jürgen. <laughs> <laughs> and to you, Sue, when has there been a time that you've experienced on stage the conductor really just having that wonderful harmony with, with the members of the orchestra? I mean, there'd be so many times. Sometimes the most unexpected conductors as well, where you've had rehearsals where you think this isn't really going to lift and then something happens. But when I first joined, Kurt Mazur was our principal conductor and he had such strong Germanic ties. And we did Bruckner, Beethoven, Brahms, Schubert, Schumann, a, a sort of a, a sprinkling of Prokofiev and Shostakovich. But the sound that he demanded from the orchestra and the intensity was staggering. I mean, and it was extraordinary. He didn't use a stick because he'd had a very bad car accident and hurt. I think he was an amazing pianist and he'd hurt both hands. So he used to do this slightly funny shake. I can say that because now he's long gone. But I mean, I absolutely adored him. My first concert I ever played with him was Beethoven 5 in the proms. And when it started, I didn't really know how the strings had come in because he just sort of shook his right hand and they sort of went da-da-da-da. And I thought, oh my gosh, what's going on? I think it's the most terrified I think I've ever been. I just thought, just hold it together, because I didn't know what was going on. And that's a strange thing as well. When you come in, as a, perhaps as an extra, and you haven't played with an orchestra, perhaps you, you're fresh-faced, straight out of college, the downbeat looks very different to how it feels in the orchestra, because this body of people sort of just, they do everything together, they breathe together. But sometimes as an outsider, you don't quite understand what's going on, but you soon get into the swing of it. But also Vladimir was amazing because his tenure was different. His diversity of repertoire, amazing. I'm seeing plenty of nods coming from Joe. Um, tell me about your experience of seeing different conductors with the orchestra that you know so well. I think Vladimir Yurovsky, or Vlad, as he's affectionately known in our house, 
I remember going to a pre-performance talk he gave very early on in his first year, at the beginning of his tenure, and he said, the orchestra has a wonderful lush sound, but I need it to be more precise. That's interesting. I think that's what he married. Sue, your point about intensity and Jürgen about intention. The orchestra's sound was nothing but precision. For me, the high point of that was Shostakovich 11, which is my favourite in the Albert Hall at the proms, September 2017, where the oppressive violence, and you talked about the building Bolero, in Bolero, Jürgen, exactly that's the unrelenting nature of that second movement. No one in the Albert Hall was breathing. You were pinned to the back of your seat. And then the viola section came in for the third movement for that beautiful folk song led by the gentleman whose name I can't remember, who I think is one of the most beautiful viola players. The fantastic David Quiggle. And your heart was done. That was it. And at the end, I I don't think I've seen the Albert Hall move as one into a standing ovation as they did that night. So that one was perfection. And then I would say actually Mark Elder with the orchestra during one of the lockdown recordings. We were invited, mum, dad and I were invited to be in the audience for one of those recordings because they were allowed up to 10 people. And so September 2020, where you weren't sure whether the world was ever going to be right again. And it was the Anna Klein, Prince of Clouds, and then the Beethoven. It was a form of worship. Sue, I'm not sure if you were playing, but it, it was... I was playing for me, both it, concerts, the Shostakovich and, yeah, and the Beethoven. I thought it was, it was an expression of hope. Mm-hmm. And Elder, who of course, you know, Mark Elder had this astonishing COVID because he was the only man who could do anything because he was the, <laughs> you know, the only man in Britain who was available. But I thought that was, it was, you know, late because of COVID regulations. He'd come in late. But gosh, it was a statement about mutual healing. And mm. it was private because my parents were speaking to someone who said, you as the audience, you as the orchestra didn't know there were people in the audience quite often. I seem to remember, I think that's amazing. You you managed to do that, Joe. It was extraordinary. Did it not feel strange with the sort of cavernous festival hall, which is difficult to fill anyway? You didn't, it just must have felt incredibly intimate and incredibly special. It was one of the greatest privileges. And of course, the acoustic was so different because there was no one in it. Mm, would be much better, I would have thought. That's a super fan <laughs> ultimate moment with the entire family then, isn't it? With bells yeah, on. Yeah. Family in the orchestra. Yeah. Jürgen, where do you like to listen to the LPO? Is there a, a specific place that you like to listen? And do you have uh, your favourite seat or a specific place you like to sit? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I do like the stereophonic sound. So I, I like to sit somewhere where um, there's a good balance of all the orchestral instruments. Mm. That might depend on how the seating plan of the orchestra is. There's this old Vienna seating plan where you have first and second violins opposite. So you have the modern plans where violins are on one side and the other side is more bass heavy. So it might depend on that. And so do you change where you sit depending on the repertoire or where the orchestra will be placed? Do you research that beforehand? Uh, I don't research that beforehand, but I might change during the interval if there's a possibility. Oh, that's a good trick. I like that. Okay, good. Thank you, Jürgen. And Joe, does your family have a space where you always sit throughout this time or do you move and change? Oh, no, we're wedded to uh, the balcony, <laughs> A21 to 24. <laughs> <laughs> that's a- <laughs> 
Well, I know where and, to and, look when I'm there. And it. the row behind. Yeah. And, but it's exactly the same reason as Jürgen that my parents started sitting there, which was the blend of the sound. Because you are, you know, the acoustic of the festival hall changes dramatically where you are. But exactly your point, you know, Jürgen, you get a, a proper mix of everything and you're not overwhelmed by one instrument or the other. And I think also for smaller people or for when you're bored <laughs> and it's not quite your piece of music or, or for new people, being able to see everyone. Yes. So then you start learning. It's a much more rich experience, I think, and, and a much more instructive one, even though that's not why you're going, to be able to see the different members of the orchestra. Because otherwise, Sue, you know, the woodwind can't get it in all its glory because there's all these string players in front, being a string player myself. But, you know, and it's sort of, so that's, yeah, that's our seat. Jürgen, is there a particular type of repertoire? I know you've said that you, you really... You're not a fan of the modern, but do you think there's a particular type of repertoire that really works with the LPO? Well, I don't think I said, ever said I'm not a fan of the modern. <laughs> <laughs> not, a, not a super fan of the modern. And Maybe if, just a if I could push a repertoire for the LPO, then it would be Carla Medios Hartmann. He is in the line of Alban Berg. I find him a very interesting composer with lots of colours, very complex scores. I think the LPO would do a fantastic job. What's your take on that, Sue? Well, actual fact, not to plug any recordings, but I think the LPO have done a lot of recordings of Hartmann. So, Jürgen, you could add them to your collection and be a super fan. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> or download them on Spotify. I think for quite a few summers they've been recording all the Hartmann symphonies. I will do that. Yes. Um, Fantastic. <laughs> Look at that. I like Perhaps it. Perhaps you could get a reduced rate. Because, because of the cake or even free. Yes. It's a trade, I think so. <laughs> and Joe, is there a particular repertoire that you think really suits the LPO? The Russian. Very good on Russian. What we've enjoyed with Ed Gardner starting is you know, Midsummer Marriage. Gurley did these huge, complex pieces, and yet he finds a lot of space in them mm. and a lot of light and shade. And so these sort of totemic behemoth type pieces of music and yet they're played with a lightness and then it's been really enjoyable seeing more chamber pieces I think the orchestra's strength is is as Jürgen says because there is an intention as why a piece is chosen and why something is programmed and there is a clarity it seems on what is seeking to be communicated you know those are the points that Jürgen made the repertoire can be as broad as it is um, during your time of getting to know the orchestra, are there any particular players that you've got to know or particular sections of the orchestra that you can speak to personally, Joe? We do have a lot of chat with the brass section. Ah, it's quite, there's yes. always, but I think that's usually because we can be found having a nice time and they like a nice time. And so, They're a friendly <laughs> bunch, aren't they? <laughs> we're, all, we're all in it together. When I would you get I, to meet with them, to, to speak to them? Is it drinks after a concert or when well, would it's, it be? It's, so sort of, because of my parents obviously have been very long-standing supporters, I decided at some point I had to carve out on my own. Yes. I couldn't just come and drink their wine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I joined the Contemporaries, which was the kind of previous young person, younger persons group, which was, you know, looking at people in their, you know, 20s up to their up to 40. And how do you kind of keep people engaged with orchestras when their lives are changing? And so that was great for meeting people, for meeting members of the orchestra and kind of discussing things with them. And then I think because we're just omnipresent. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> then you sort of just and so having having done the contemporaries and really enjoyed that then as COVID happened and had you know what's going to happen as we come out of COVID I decided that I wanted to deepen my my personal involvement with the orchestra mm. and actually you know what does the next 30 years of my life look like and how did I, what relationship did I want to have with the orchestra in that period and so that's why I stepped up to become a baby benefactor on my own it's been really enjoyable not only meeting members of the orchestra getting to know them better Andy Barkley Yes. I seem to have a lot to chat with. And Sue Burling, who is a complete aside, Yerling, your wife's point about Bolero and about kind of, do you want to go to Bolero? Is it not a bit hackneyed? Have we not seen it all before? When Sue plays the Cours Anglais solo in Vorjak's New World, you think, yeah, this is why. Because if someone plays these pieces of music that get overplayed, quote unquote, but when they play them with a fresh take and a real clarity, back to Jürgen. Jürgen used all these excellent, you know, all of the words Jürgen used. I'm just saying about the clarity. Yes. Then you get, so we, I just like hearing about what they find tricky, what they found challenging, what they're really enjoying. A little bit of orchestra gossip because my sister, one of my sisters works in classical music. So, you know, a bit of, bit of orchestra gossip, nice. a bit of, you know, just seeing, seeing what's going on. And I like hearing Jürgen, your point about intention, why is it the orchestra have programmed something? Mm. And what is it that you as members of the orchestra have experienced playing it? That's amazing. Jürgen, how about yourself? You, you know, especially seeing how on mainstream television you'd be able to show your passion for music. Do you have any personal connections with members of the orchestra? Um, yes, probably one that... Um, didn't live on, but was the first connection was on a night train back from London soon after I moved to Brighton. Clarinetist of the LPO changed from tails into a motorbike suit, took his clarinet <laughs> underneath and we had the loveliest chat. And then after Bake Off, Dave Whitehouse, second trombonist, came to me and invited me to play duets in Glyndebourne, which yet has to happen. I'm looking forward to that, but I think we were all a bit... Uh, busy over the summer with different things but he invited us to concerts and we had a nice chat afterwards uh, so I really look forward to meeting him again. Amazing oh that's lovely and for yourself Sue have there been any sort of fans of the orchestra that you get to meet after after concerts and sort of familiar faces it's like oh seen you again you enjoyed that one are, are there members like that? I do remember when I first joined the orchestra and I was given the job by Stuart McElwam and Celia Chambers. And I think Celia was amazing and she was sort of winding down. So I was doing a lot of stuff in her seat. And I do remember going out for a coffee in the interval when we had in the morning rehearsal, when we had a concert in the evening at the festival hall. And we were standing out looking at the Thames and a couple came up to me and said, gosh, you've been kept really busy this week. And I said, hello. And I think they were sitting in, I think there were friends that were sitting in the rehearsal. And they spoke to me so personally. And I had no idea who they were. I realised I clocked they were obviously fans of the LPO. And to be quite honest, any orchestra, specifically in the UK, if we do not have subscribers, friends and benefactors, and people like Joe and her family, and hopefully, Joe, your family will continue to support the orchestra in the way that you've done I mean, orchestras wouldn't survive without this support and loyalty and love. Um, so that made me laugh because they said, oh, are you busy? And then they, are, they said, Celia, is she well or is she on holiday? So I said, actually, yeah, something she's taking a bit of 
bit of time off. And then sometimes when we go to level four, it's the friends of the orchestra and you come through the back door backstage and you sort of, you put your instrument away and you think, right, have a quick hello, grab a water, then go back. And I remember once coming through the back door and it was filled with the friends and they, it was like you went to a party of friends, but you've never met any of them before. And they all know you so well. Oh, that bit was really hard. How did you double tongue that? And, and so it's, it's an extraordinary thing of meeting people like that. And in actual fact, I actually, I had a two-year boyfriend who turned up, who came to the side of the stage after I did Beethoven 3 many, many years ago. When Franz Broken was conducting, and I remember it was an extraordinary concert because um, Kurt Mazur had gone off sick for a Beethoven series. He was very ill, so all these people had to step in. And this amazing conductor, I mean, he was, he was in his 90s when he came to us. He was extraordinary. And it was the most amazing Beethoven three. And I came off stage and some young, rather attractive man said, um, could we meet? And I thought he was a flute player. And in actual <laughs> fact, it turned out, to, so he, I suppose he was a super fan for a time. Wow, so. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say one thing? What, what's funny is often you sit on the stage, you have this perspective of the orchestra sitting on the stage, the sound and everything. And for me, it's specifically always in the centre. So you never know what the brass and percussion are doing. I always think they're like the, they're watching a watering hole and we're the, the antelopes and they're like, I don't know, <laughs> that the lions and all the predators behind us as they're watching all the rest of us. But I sometimes when there are, people on trial and you're not in all the pieces it's great to go and sit in the audience and have that different perspective and also it's amazing because you it's extraordinary seeing all these people you know so well I remember sitting in the audience and hearing two ladies in front of me first of all they said isn't it extraordinary there are so many attractive people in the orchestra because all auditions are done behind the screen well that wasn't true so I felt like going well actually no that's not true (laughs) And then they say, there's a, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me mentioning him. Um, Dave Lale is a cellist in the orchestra and he's a pretty good looking young man. He wouldn't mind me saying that either. And the people in front of me also said, we generally come to the concert just to see Dave playing the cello. So, so unlike you, Joe and Jürgen, they never sit to get stereophonic sound, they sit really Just close to the cello section. <laughs> the LPO has it all for everybody. I love it. <laughs> well, listen, I could speak to you all all day, honestly, um, and, and not just because we're absolutely celebrating the LPO, but just to hear your, your take on the music and your experiences. It's been so wonderful to hear. Thank you all very much for sharing your experiences and, and your thoughts on and your engagement with the LPO. You definitely all are super fans. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you bye bye. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to superfans Jürgen Kraus and Joanna Williams and flautist Sue Thomas for joining me today. If you fancy getting in touch, please do. There are lots of ways to do so. Just visit lpo.org.uk forward slash contact and choose whatever method you like. Thanks so much for listening and do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage where we'll be taking a deep dive into Gustav Mahler's symphonies. I'll see you next time.
I have to say, Jürgen, being as we're doing an episode about super fans, my daughter, Lula, and I are super fans of yours. 